Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. We'll hear from those gym owners taking their cases to court coming up. Also in this half hour, we check in with one of our local hospitals following a spike in COVID patients being treated. Duke Regional ED nurse Ashley Wheeler tells us about the pros and cons of social distancing as more and more people venture out during the reopening. We also speak with Bob Ingram, the former CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, live to discuss the race to find a vaccine, the efforts to find a treatment, and how local pharmaceutical companies are playing roles in curing and treating COVID-19. We start with breaking news regarding the Republican National Convention slated for North Carolina in August. The president responded to the governor's comments late today about the topic. Let's get over to Mark Boyle in the Live Center with more on that. Mark? The RNC here in North Carolina could really be on the line. The president, Donald Trump, talking about this late this afternoon from the White House. The governor of the state of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, has been talking about making sure things line up. The numbers are in place before all of the folks, the tens of thousands of people show up to the RNC in August. The president says he doesn't want to wait that long. He wants to know an answer from the governor within the next seven days or things could change. We have a governor that doesn't want to open up the state. And we have a date of August in the end of August. And we have to know before we spend millions and millions of dollars on an arena to make it magnificent for the convention. And we have tremendous people. I mean, the economic development consequences are tremendous for the state. We have to know that when the people come down, they're going to have the doors open. The RNC is expected to generate well over $150 million for the city of Charlotte and the surrounding areas. Back to you. All right, thank you, Mark. Those comments and the status of the Republican National Convention, just one of the talking points at today's state briefing following the holiday weekend. We start with the state's big takeaways. Late today, North Carolina passed 800 deaths. We saw the highest single-day spike in cases over the weekend. And even with more testing, Dr. Cohen expressed her concern because cases are also linked to outbreaks in rural areas and long-term care facilities. We also saw the highest day of hospitalizations. State leaders are also bracing for a lawsuit from upset gym owners. WREL's Keely Arthur shows us the steps they're taking after being left out of phase two. After being excluded from phase two, gym owners say they have no choice but to turn to the courts, believing that Cooper is violating their ability to earn a living. Hey, everybody. Allowed to or not, gym owners across North Carolina are brushing off the dumbbells and saying, come on in to customers. We're so excited because we are opening our doors at 5 o'clock p.m. today. Defying state orders to remain shut down due to COVID-19 concerns. And if you think you're sick, don't come. And if you're that scared, don't come. Governor Roy Cooper says gyms could be shut down for another month. But not if Fit for Life health club owners Robin Gardner-Smith and husband Ed Smith can help it. The couple is part of a group of plaintiffs planning to sue Cooper in Wake County Superior Court. It's ridiculous what he's doing to people. People need to exercise. They need to get out. Why was it important for you to take legal action? Well, we've already not had income for two months. And the numbers, uh, the numbers just don't justify uh, what the governor's doing. They're filing Wednesday, but no matter what happens in court, they're going to do what they say they have to do. So you're going to open anyway? Yes. Welcome to the best gym in camp. Planning to open next Monday, June 1st, and option other gyms. Make sure that you stay every other one. Have taken already. 
we care about our members and we need to be open uh, and we can do it safely. The Smiths have 13 locations in varying areas and from their understanding, law enforcement is only going to step in if necessary and if they get calls to do so. Closer to home, it's a similar story here. Raleigh PD says they're going to use education first. Keely Arthur, WREL, Raleigh. Governor Roy Cooper took his message about wearing a mask to Twitter this morning. His tweet reads, quote, a face covering signifies strength and compassion for others. Wearing one shows that you actually care about other people's health. In today's Facts Not Fear, David Crabtree answers some of the common questions we continue to receive regarding masks and how they're being used. You may have seen this rumor. Do masks weaken your immune system? The answer is no. USA Today just fact-checked this. The theory behind it is your immune system benefits from being exposed to some bacteria and that face masks block you from that. This theory wrongly assumes that masks block all bacteria and they don't. Experts told USA Today there is no evidence a mask will weaken your immune system. This next question, do I need to shave to wear a mask? The answer again is no. You may have seen this. The CDC put out a chart a few years ago showing which types of facial hair interfere with masks. However, the CDC was talking about respirators that use suction to your face, not the type of mask we are encouraged to wear in public. And this last one today, if I don't have a mask, should I wear a bandana or scarf? The answer, yes. The CDC saying masks are preferable because they have fewer holes. However, if you don't have a mask, the CDC says wearing a scarf, a bandana, or scarf around your mouth and nose is better than nothing at all. For the latest coronavirus tips, go to WRAL.com. Anything can help. WR's Leslie Moreno set out today to see how many people wore masks when they went out of the house. She joins us live in Raleigh with the answer. Leslie, what'd you find? Well, Gerald, I went to three different locations, Walmart, Lowe's, and Food Line here behind me in Raleigh. All three places were busy despite it being a Tuesday morning. At each place, I counted how many people were wearing a mask and how many people were not. The results may surprise you. Where's my mask? Yeah. I don't wear a mask. I started my day at Food Line in Raleigh. Out of the 50 people I counted, half were wearing a mask. The rest seem to have forgotten their mask at home. Well, actually, I live right across the street and I just dashed out to get some a few things. I was going to be here for a few minutes, but I usually always wear my mask. Or said they had a difficult time wearing it. With glasses, it fogs up. And I've ordered some, but they haven't got here yet. If not for that, I will have it on. At Walmart, out of the 100 people I counted, 70% of them wore a mask. I know I don't have mine on there, but I have it. <laughs> When I came out, I took it off. Well, I don't think it's necessary. When I go in the grocery store, I stay at least six, eight foot from anybody. And I get in there, I get what I'm going to get and get out. Dr. Amir Barzin says unless you have a condition that makes it hard for you to breathe with a mask, there's no reason why you shouldn't be wearing one. In those situations, we would try to avoid them. But um, those should hopefully be few and far between. At Lowe's, out of the 50 people we counted, 60% wore a mask. When talking to other shoppers, they expressed concerns about a second wave of infection due to the amount of people with no masks. We've seen in the past with um, multiple different pandemics and epidemics going around that there have been multiple waves. 
Now, I do have to say I was actually surprised myself to find that more people were wearing a mask. But this is good news. This shows that people are being safe and are protecting themselves and others against the virus. Gerald? That is encouraging. Leslie Moreno live in Raleigh. Thank you, Leslie. In addition to our highest day of spikes, a, a spike, rather the highest day of cases we've seen over the weekend, the state also reported the highest day of hospitalizations. Today, the state reported 621 hospitalizations in North Carolina for people being treated for COVID-19. This is with 78% of hospitals reporting to state officials. We normally see between 80 and 90% of hospitals reporting their numbers. The rolling daily average is now 589, 589 cases. WRL's data trackers use the state's numbers to develop the curve that you see here, which is trending up. In her video blog update today, Duke Regional ER nurse Ashley Wheeler points out how we are all in an uphill battle, even with the state opening back up. This is a perspective you'll only see on WRAL. It's been a relatively busy day today. Continue to have um, rule out patients who are getting tested and um, coming into the hospital. Um, there's still every day lots and lots of people who are in kind of institutional settings who um, are coming in positive after exposure to people that they are around frequently. This is not a surprise, um, but I mean, it's, it's proof to me that the social distancing that we've been doing has been the right thing because in these um, locations where social distancing is more difficult, it is just spreading um, and it continues to spread. It's not like it's gone away. They're still having lots and lots of cases. Um, so that doesn't necessarily bode well for everything opening up and people excitedly being out on the town, um, the real test is going to be in the next couple of weeks as people are out this weekend and it's finally not raining every day. I really wonder if we're going to have an explosion of cases starting, you know, in a few days. Um, because the good news about social distancing is it has kept our cases relatively steady the bad news about that is there's lots and lots of people who can still get it. Um, and that's a scenario that I'm definitely not looking forward to. And we really appreciate Ashley Wheeler's perspective inside a local emergency department. The hospitalizations are just one of the metrics that we are tracking. To find case-by-case -case breakdowns in your zip code, see testing trends and numbers in our state, and to see the latest case count, go to WRL.com and search data trackers. He has served three presidents and led one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Coming up, I speak with Bob Ingram live about the race to find a vaccine and treatment and how local companies could play a role in it. You're watching WRL News at 7. Back in the live center now, Robinson County reporting more than 40 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus. And I highlighted this area in blue to show you that some of the youngest people testing positive, just 10 month old, five year old, an eight and a nine year old. On the other end of the scale, the oldest people testing positive, according to Robinson County, 94, 90 and 88. 
Back to you. Thank you, Mark. He's the former CEO and chairman of Glaxo Welcome and led the company through the merger and integration of GlaxoSmithKline. Bob Ingram is a very well-known figure in the local and national pharmaceutical scene and is taking some time to join us live tonight to talk about the efforts to fight COVID-19. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. It's my privilege, Deborah. Well, let's start with the vaccine race. Dr. Monsef Slawi was appointed by the president to head the vaccine search. You know him well. How do you feel about his assignment and how realistic of a timeline mm -hmm. are we talking about? It's a daunting uh, challenge, Deborah. Uh, but having said that, in my firm opinion, we couldn't have a better selection for this critical role than Monsef. I've known Monsef for 20 years and worked with him. Uh, he's an outstanding scientist, an exceptional leader, and has devoted his entire professional life to vaccine development and was clearly the architect of the GSK vaccine uh, business and whole research uh, program, which has led to vaccines for uh, HPV, uh, HPV virus, for shingles. And I'm confident that Monsef has the uh, skills and drive and, and ability to drive a collaboration, which is what it will have to be, uh, a global collaboration uh, between uh, uh, academic science, both uh, at NIH, at uh, institutions like UNC and Duke and other academic health centers, working in collaboration with each other and also with the private sector, both large pharma companies and biotech companies, small and large, as we drive to develop this vaccine that we all desperately want and need. Uh, Mounsef, as you know, has said that he thinks it's possible that we could have a vaccine by the end of the year. I personally think that's ambitious, but you don't want someone who isn't ambitious in this role. And I think he'll, he'll certainly uh, bring to this challenge the right background, the right experience, and I'm personally very proud that he's been selected for this role. I think we should all be very proud, and obviously we're all hoping that he and his whole team are successful. We certainly are. To your knowledge, Bob, are any local companies working with the federal government on researching a vaccine? There are nine uh, vaccines, uh, I believe now, in human trials. And there are probably, Deborah, 100 or so other vaccine candidates in earlier stage of research. Uh, as a partner at Hatteras Venture Partners, uh, who, we, as you know, we focus on early stage life science, we've seen uh, a number of uh, new startups looking at this, but they're all very early, uh, those in locally. So I think at this point, uh, we want to encourage all of that uh, science to develop. And certainly we're hoping that we see some of these uh, vaccine candidates in human clinical trials be successful. And if that's the case, that end of year timeline is is doable. Bob, as we've spoken, um, treatments, as we know, are more realistic short term. Remdesivir continues to look promising with ties to Duke and UNC. What other options are out there and any other drugs we might see soon in addition to remdesivir? Well, as you said, uh, remdesivir is very promising and Gilead is to be commended for its development. Uh, I personally feel very confident that we'll see multiple treatment options available to patients over the course of the next, I'll say, three to six months. Uh, antivirals, uh, there are a number of them now in human trials. In fact, one of our local companies, BioChrist, 
where I have the privilege to chair the board, uh, has a similar antiviral called galadesivir, which is in human clinical trials in Brazil. So uh, bottom line, again, we'll see, I think, treatment uh, treatments available, prob- not probably, certainly before we see a vaccine. But that's still encouraging. It definitely is. Uh, you work alongside some of the brightest minds in the state. UNC, Duke, LabCorp, all relatively local, have been thrust now into the national spotlight. Do you think we might see another local group at the top of the list of innovators when we're looking back on this pandemic maybe 20 years from now? I certainly hope so, Deborah. And I, uh, and, and I feel confident that that can happen. When you look at biomedical research, uh, there are three real centers in the United States. Uh, the Bay Area around San Francisco, the Boston area, and North Carolina. And it's because here we have great teaching medical schools like UNC, like Duke, like Wake Forest, all collaborating with the NIH, by the way, led by Francis Collins, a UNC uh, uh, alumnus. Uh, We have Ned Sharpless, another UNC alumnus, heading the National Cancer Institute. We have Rob Caleb, who was the FDA commissioner, a former Duke uh, professor, uh, LabCorp, you mentioned, uh, had a great leader in David King, a new great leader in Adam Schechter. Uh, we have a lot of talent here. And uh, I might add that uh, also key to, to this is data analytics. And obviously, SAS is a global leader in data analytics. So I think with that, if you will, uh, uh, nucleus of talent here, and with a lot of startup uh, biotech companies starting to locate here, and we're the world center for clinical research, uh, CROs, with IQVIA, PPD, and a host of others. I feel very proud and and we feel very uh, positive at Hatteras with the uh, number of opportunities we think will come through over the next uh, five to 10 years in life science that will start right here in RTP. So exciting, so many local ties. Bob, I'm running out of time, but the last story I did with you was after you moved your beautiful car collection following the Durham explosion last April. Now you see Durham going through this crisis, and I know how much it pains you to see your community hurting yet again. It does, Deborah, uh, and it's a balance, as you know, between protecting the health and well-being of citizens versus making sure that independent business people people who put their own capital at risk, like our great restaurants in Durham, uh, are allowed to open as soon as feasible. And uh, I have my fingers crossed that we'll be able to hold to that June 1st deadline and let these let these folks get back to work and uh, support their families. We hope so. Bob Ingram of Hatteras Venture Partners, thank you so much for your time and insight, my friend. Thank you, Deborah. A wetter weather pattern is back in the forecast as we look ahead to tomorrow. Rain chances, storm chances are back, and they are not just here tomorrow. They are going to likely stick with us until we see a cold front finally pass through on Saturday night. That will mark the return of some drier weather, but be prepared for scattered thunderstorms and some rain throughout the week until we get to that cold front on Saturday. As we look ahead at radar this evening, we just have a few isolated showers, mainly to our south, but we do have a few isolated showers also developing in the northeastern part of our viewing area, a little closer to Warren County, Halifax, and Northampton counties. These are just isolated sprinkles, no heavy rain, no lightning, so don't be caught off guard if you do see a shower. That's why we did have a 20% chance of rain in the forecast this evening. But in the coming days, we've got a lot more rain to come, and this will be a different type of rain, likely some moderate to heavy rain. 
rounds of rain, and we're watching an axis of heavy rain that's likely to set up somewhere in North Carolina. And right now, it appears that's going to be setting up in between the triad and the triangle. You can see where we have the heaviest rain likely to fall again, closer to the sand hills, where we could see one and a half to three inches of rain now through a week from now. This is over the next seven days. The eastern part of our viewing area could see a little bit less, one to two inches of rain. And not only is it likely to start tomorrow being a wet day, but it's also going to be pretty breezy as well. So hopefully you are able to get in some time outside early in the week or over the weekend. Tomorrow morning, just a 30% chance of rain. That should mainly be for the southern part of our viewing area. But rain chances will steadily climb throughout the day. We'll see rain chances at 70% during the afternoon and evening. As we look ahead over the next seven days, 77 are high tomorrow thanks to cloudy skies. It's breezy. It's likely to be a wet day. And then periods of rain and storms are likely through Saturday. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Kat. If you are stuck inside tomorrow, be sure to join us for our annual high school OT honors ceremony. Instead of an in-person event, the program will now be a one-hour special airing on Fox 50 and streaming live on HighSchoolOT.com and the app. That's tomorrow at 8. Thanks for watching us at 7. Tonight at 10 on Fox 50 and 11 on WREL, we talk with bar owners who say they're not being treated fairly. Good night.